0: Part 12, Not Always to the Swift Ecclesiastes 9.11 reminds us that the race is not always to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Maybe not, but according to Damon Runyon, that's the way to bet. I lived the parable and turned Runyon's wisdom on its ear one July day while Mary Beth and our friends, Sue and Steve, were enjoying the sport of kings at Canterbury Park in Shakopee, Minnesota. I have my wife's father, Joe Burnett, to thank for her appreciation of horse tracks. The Burnetts got thoroughbred racing in their blood after he put himself through college at Arizona State with the GI Bill and work at the newly opened Turf Paradise Racetrack in the late 1950s. He had keen instincts for human behavior combined with a take-it-or-leave-it worldview that made him an excellent gambler. His son Tom follows in his footsteps but Joe taught me only one thing about gambling. I'm lousy at it. I love the thrill of it, but don't bet very much, I once said to him. I'm not very good. I know, he replied. You're too curious. I had never gambled with Joe. With horse racing a part of the family heritage, Mary Beth likes to combine her love of animals with her father's partiality to the paramutual and I get to go to the track a couple of times a year. Canterbury Park enjoys a partnership with the Midwauketon Sioux community who operate Mystic Lake Casino just a few miles down the road. The tribe's large sponsorship of the track increases winners purses and the track limits its direct competition with the casino. Canterbury has several high stakes races per year with purses, prize money that is, that draw better horses and more fans. On this day, we had seats out in the sun near the finish line, and as the day's promotional race neared, people gathered on the rail for a closer look at the competitors as they entered the track under control of leather straps that would at first guide them, then set them free to run with pure instinct. The entrants had prepared for this race their entire lives with special diets, secret training sessions, and the hopeful love of their owners. I'm actually not half bad at reading a racing form, and have picked the Kentucky Derby winner five times in 35 years. That's about 15% and better than most. For this race, though, I was true to Joe's analysis, and my wagering strategy was more emotional than deductive. Number three in the program was named Ringo. My brother went by the same nickname from the age of two. It was supposed to be just Ring, shortened from Rex Levering Pickett Third but four-year-old Sister Shell entered a room one day and said, Hello, Mommy-o, Daddy-o, and Ringo. Mom and Dad looked at each other, and the name stuck. I owe my brother bolts of hand-me-down cloth, several leftover forts, bicycles, fixed toys, years of adventures, black eyes, skin knees, and at least a dozen unpaid rents on boardwalk and park place. How could I not bet on number three? We decided to do an internal bet amongst the group for the big race and Sue collected the money. With the name Ringo on the docket, I didn't need to read the form and was unaware of the significant handicap carried by my selection. For those not familiar with horse racing handicaps, officials allocate a different weight to be carried by each horse. This evens out their speed and makes for a more compelling betting environment. It was obvious to everyone that there was no justice in Ringo's handicap that day. It never should have happened. The handlers paraded their entrance for review on the big screen. See that, Sue asked, then thoughtfully added, you can change your bet if you want. Oh my, I replied and thought for a second. There really was no way for Ringo to overcome that handicap and six other hungry competitors. To be honest, he looked overweight, too, which is uncommon in a horse track setting. Nobody had any expectations of a win for Ringo. He was the definition of a hopeless long shot. But I stuck with the never-change-a-bet theory and loyalty to my brother's name. Plus, he was number three, a sign of the Trinity. Thanks, I said to Sue, but I gotta stick with him, I said. Steve applauded my allegiance and appreciated the increased odds of winning his bet. He's a bright guy who's long on math and deductive reasoning skills that helped him win three races in a row earlier in the day, including a trifecta that had their trip to the track all bought and paid for. "Good for you, Mike," he said with sincerity, then added, "Saka." As the animals began their charge down the home stretch, A lot of folks felt bad for Ringo. The handicap was so substantial it made his gait different than all the others. But he stayed on a steady, determined course in the center of the track and was running last. He boldly, awkwardly drove for the finish line, but simply couldn't compete with the younger, healthier, faster animals. Then, out of nowhere, a distraction arose at the side of the track. A gate was left open where several owners had gathered to witness the race. First one, then two, then five of the seven sprinters veered off course toward the open gate. It was chaos like I'd never seen at a track. A sixth racer paused long enough for Ringo to take the lead. There were only yards remaining as he battled down the stretch. Number six, Mr. Dexter, refocused and was back in the race for a late comeback. His white coat and pink silks were a distinct contrast to Ringo's chestnut and black with Kelly Green silks. So it was easy to see exactly how much ground was being regained. The lead shrunk to a body length, then a half length. It was going to be close. Dirt from the track flew up from behind him as Ringo dug in with one more dauntless stride, then surged across the finish line in triumph. The crowd roared and exchanged high fives and fist bumps for the lovable underdog as track announcer Paul Allen declared Ringo's victory among the greatest in the history of racing at Canterbury. We waited around to personally meet the winner and his owners after the fanfare and hoopla had settled down. They thanked us for the unwavering support as Ringo beamed with satisfaction at his achievement, and I gladly accepted a photo op for bragging rights on social media. Everyone else was going with Damon Runyon theory that day, so I was one of few people to bet on old number three. But I didn't cash a big ticket, three dollars to be exact, one each from Mary Beth, Sue, and Steve. The promotional feature this day wasn't a high-stakes thoroughbred race. It was Wiener Dogs and Donuts Day. And Ringo is a three-legged dachshund who allocated his own handicap in an act of self-preservation that freed him from an animal trap. The full verse of Ecclesiastes 9.11 states, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Including, a brave little wiener dog named Ringo.